When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is The Final Word. It is Season 15. It's Episode 25, the weekly show for the, the week of kind of sort of near the end of February, but not quite yet. Um, the week before everybody heads off to New Zealand. Jeff Lemon with you and Barrett Sundarason with a little bit of Ollie and Elfie barking in the background. Probably good morning. Well, it's morning when we're recording, so it might as well be morning for That's everybody right. whenever they're listening to this, even though they'll be anywhere around the world in all different time zones. Hello. Hello, Jeff. I think uh, I'm a little surprised with uh, the, the clouds in the sky because it's been a hot uh, late summer here in South Australia. I don't know. I think it's a very Australian thing to start talking about the weather, right? In any mm-hmm. show, any radio, uh, uh, stint or TV, wherever, whatever you do, you start with the weather. Uh, a cloudy morning, but uh, I put some washing out, so I'm a little worried about mm-hmm. what's going to happen uh, because I have some guests coming over. But apart from all of that, I'm ready to go. You're ready to go? You were in Adelaide. I've been in Melbourne the last little while. Um Taylor Swift at the MCG the last few days. It's interesting to see a ground that we know so well from one thing becoming this other thing, becoming this kind of shrine to whatever particular style of worship it was. 96,000 people, three nights running, which I think is bigger than any cricket crowd they've ever had. It was 93,000 for the the World Cup final in 2015 from memory. And I can't recall a bigger one than that. 91,000 would be the test record. So, I mean, you know, solid turnout. There were some seats behind the bowler's arm, as it were, that that weren't used, that were lost to the sight Mm. screen, I suppose, being behind the stage. (laughs) But I could hear it um, on the Sunday night. I was walking around Prince's Park in Carlton and even from that side of town, you could hear hear the um, the, the sort of rumble of the, the... bass and, and you could hear a bit of the high end. It couldn't quite make out what the song was, but and there were fireworks going off and you could hear people cheering. And so it was. It, it, it felt like a. it was a significant cultural moment, even if it was a bit overwhelming just being in this town while there was like complete Taylor fever for the week leading up. You couldn't go anywhere, walk into any shop, walking through the Vic markets, all the stalls are playing the songs. It was, it was, yeah. it was almost too much, but um, it was still an interesting, a cultural moment, I could call it. Look, we all knew that at some point in this modern era, in this world, uh, it'll come down to Taylor Swift versus Virat Kohli. 
right? We <laughs> knew it was going to happen, and it has happened. I was listening to uh, the MCC president Stuart Fox on Jared Waitley's show the other day, and uh, he said what Taylor Swift uh, has done to the MCG uh, over the weekend. Uh, the MCG has never seen anything like that. It's completely. We've seen cricket World Cups. We've seen um, great AFL Grand Finals, but nothing comes close to it. The same was said when Virat Kohli played that special innings against Pakistan, what eighteen or so months ago. Uh, and at that point, I remember Jared and everyone, like all the great Victorians and uh, all of uh, all every Victorian who'd seen like you know dozens and dozens of AFL Grand Finals said the MCGs never sounded and looked like this. They're saying the same thing about Taylor Swift. Mm. So for now, I think it's uh, Swifties one, uh, Virat Kohli's zero. So mm. uh, or maybe let's call it two one at this point. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Virat Kohli will be back at the Boxing Day test. Uh, you'd think later this year uh, he'll get his chance to mm. see if he can uh, maybe level the series or you know maybe Taylor Swift wins like she seems to win everywhere else. Well, maybe I think she's leading three-one, given that she she played three nights in a row. Oh, that's so, no, yeah. so so just under a hundred thousand three three days running, and then there were another twenty or thirty thousand people hanging around outside as well. So it, effectively, as as one of my friends was was trying to work out, it's something like close to two percent of the Australian population um, <laughs> saw her play across across two nights. Although I'm sure a few of those people were repeats. So so that was the week here in world cricket news that. A sad one this week, Mike Proctor died at the age of 77, the great South African all-rounder who, who got to play so little cricket for South Africa because yeah. of uh, the exclusions of the apartheid era, a political, uh, a political position that he was not in support of, it would be fair to, to broadly yeah. say. A lot of writing about his exploits on the field, the incredible number of wickets he took, that sub-20 bowling average across first-class crickets, the fact that he basically ended up with a county named after him in, in Proctorshire was, <laughs> was the, the slang during the era. And, and I particularly liked um, Neil Manthorpe's reminiscence of that when they played at Lords, it was at 93, uh, 94, he, th- there's a ban on flying flags at Lords, um, but the new South African flag yeah. had, had only just been minted. And um, as, as Neil Manthorpe recalled, Proctor smuggled the flag into Lords and hid it in the dressing room so that when they, when they won, he was hoping they would win that test. And when they did, he, he hung it from the balcony as a sign to say that the new South Africa is, is what we're here to represent and what we're here to support, mm. which is a, a pretty special gesture and, and I think says a, a fair bit about the man. Oh, a special man, a special cricketer, but a special man off the field. I was actually listening to Michael Atherton and Nasser Hussain on their Sky podcast. And so I think Atherton was captain when uh, uh, South Africa won, uh, beat uh, England in at Lords. And uh, so he remembers that uh, very, very vividly when Mike Proctor kind of uh, yeah, un- uh, unfurled the, the new South African flag over the Lords uh, balcony. Uh, but I mean, except, I was thinking about it, except umpiring, Mike Proctor did everything else you could do in cricket. Obviously, he was a great cricketer and I'm sure we'll talk about his cricket for the seven tests he played, what, 41 wickets at 15 uh, apiece, uh, all seven tests against Australia, six of which South Africa won. This was part of that uh, dominant run they had against Australia, which led to Bill Laurie losing his captaincy and all of that. But then, yeah, he comes back uh, after readmission as manager in 1992. Then he became a a commentator and, and, you know, we speak a lot about, and I, I 
used to love Mike Proctor's commentary. He was almost the South African Bill Laurie and the famous 99 uh, World Cup semi-final at, at Edgbaston. You obviously remember what Bill Laurie says at the end, like, Donald didn't run, Donald didn't run, and like Australia are through to the final. But the real excitement in that over comes from Mike Proctor when Lance Klusner hits those two boundaries. And, and the two voices kind of, the, their excitement levels are so high, You, you uh, it's a little difficult to make out who's doing uh, or who's jumping off their seat. And it is Mike Proctor, the, the two boundaries in particular. So he did everything and then obviously became a match referee. Uh, unfortunately, I think... Uh, his uh, most the, the only times he had any controversy to deal with was as match referee the 2006 test match where uh, you know Inzamam took uh, his team off the field and mm. obviously Monkey Gate which like you know, unfortunately like a lot of people involved uh, in that episode who are not Indian did affect Mike Proctor a lot and he wrote, uh, wrote a lot about it uh, he, he did a book with our good friend Lungani Zama a few years ago uh, I'm mm. going to say four or five years ago it's a really good book uh, and a very very candid but yeah, I mean, I've been reading a lot about Mike Proctor as well. I mean, just some numbers, right? <laughs> Jeff Lemon, like you speak about the great all-rounders this game has ever seen. Yes, you play only, he played only seven test matches, but he did play a, a lot of uh, uh, Packer cricket. He played for the rest of the world in the early 70s. And like you said, Proctor share. But just, just look at these numbers. 21,936 first-class runs at an average of 36.01 and 1,417 wickets at 19.53. Four hat-tricks he took in first-class cricket. At one point, made six consecutive hundreds. He also played for Rhodesia, which obviously became Zimbabwe later on, in the Curry Cup competition in South Africa. Only C.B. Fry and Don Bradman had done that. And he also famously took uh, four wickets of four balls. And uh, Mark Nicholas has written a piece on Cricket Info where he says he was there as a little boy working the scoreboard in Southampton. And he mm-hmm. should have got five out of five, but the umpire just got a little tired, apparently, of raising his finger. And those four in four uh, included his great mate, Barry Richards, who he toured a lot with since uh, right from their junior cricket days and Gordon Greenwich, uh, uh, both of whom was, were playing for Hampshire. And yeah, I mean, also, right, he created his own genre, right, like of not bowling of the wrong foot, but always being tagged as someone who's bowling of the wrong foot. Mm. And as someone uh, who obviously didn't play international cricket, as someone who bowls of the wrong foot, he was our godfather. Like, so I remember every time uh, some, anyone saw me bowl back in the 90s, they were like, oh, Mike Proctor. So that if, if you bowled of the wrong foot or uh, looked like you were bowling of the wrong foot, people didn't even say you were bowling of the wrong foot. They just said, Mike Proctor. I remember... Uh, four or five years ago I was in New Zealand uh, like we will be very soon and playing a media game or India media versus New Zealand media and Ravi Shastri was coach and I think a couple of the support staff played in, the, played in that match with us and the next day at, for whatever ground we were in uh, for training Ravi Shastri just walked towards me and said Prata and then you knew what he was talking about because he had heard about my bowling action mm-hmm. and, but yeah I mean like I said he, he did everything uh, uh, he's in the folklore for Gloucestershire and I I don't think Gloucestershire has been the same ever since uh, Mike Proctor stopped playing for them. Uh, you just look at uh, what they've been achi- uh, able to achieve since. They had some one-day mm. success in the 90s. but uh, And he played test. I mean, he was bass balling back in the day, right? He was having a great time on the field, off the field, uh, in swingers. Uh, 
Crash Craddock's done a piece with Alan Border, and Alan Border said uh, he was uh, every time Alan Border is asked about the great all-rounders, you know, you speak of the usual suspects, Sobers, Botham, but then he also says, "Don't forget Mike Proctor." And uh, Border has always uh, held the opinion that Border uh, uh, Proctor was better than even Botham was. It's just that he didn't get to play enough Test cricket, but. Uh, mm. Uh, yeah, a, a great loss for for world cricket, and he's he did a lot for uh, the underprivileged kids in South Africa after retiring as match referee, after kind of moving away from cricket. But yeah, he, he will be missed. He will be missed, and uh, it is unfortunate. It is uh, one of those what ifs uh, in cricket history. What if Mike Proctor had played hundred Test matches? Like, how mm. would we be speaking of? I am sure we would have been speaking of him a lot more, and wouldn't have waited for him to pass to celebrate yep. his life and his career. Yeah, I mean, the extraordinary bit, I was watching back the, the four in four balls, the extraordinary bit is that he's doing it bowling around the wicket as a right armour somehow. And he's, yeah. I mean, uh, getting the ball to swing back in and not only hit the stumps sometimes, but pitch in line and hit the pads and, and get LBW decisions out of umpires. So, you know, re- re- remarkable just on the physics front. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that... He's someone whose whose life you've followed closely, and I, I know it's it's quite a it's a meaningful moment for you. The New Zealand squad has been announced. A few interesting bits and pieces in there. So Trent Bolt not in the Test squad because he hasn't played any Red Bull cricket, which would broadly lead you to imagine that he's done playing Test yeah. cricket, unless you know I don't know unless they they train him up for a World Test Championship final or something. But if if that's Possible, their position. Yeah. Kane Williamson and Tim Southey both due to play their 100th tests together at Christchurch, assuming there's no injury problem. Um, they played their 50th test matches together as well, so they've been in, in lockstep through the career. They'll be the fifth and sixth New Zealanders to get there. So Stephen Fleming, Daniel Vittori, Brendan McCullum, Ross Taylor. The others, uh, Daryl Mitchell's back in the squad. He missed the second South African test with a, a problem with his foot. Will O'Rourke, the bowler, keeps his spot in the squad. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll make the 11, but nine for 93 on debut. Santner would be the only specialist spinner. Don't know if they would actually use him. They've, they've got Phillips and Ravindra who can both bowl part-time spin. Jameson's out. He's got this mm. back stress fracture, which is a continuation of the original. So he, he had a fracture. He had surgery done on on it and now there's an extra little crack that's opened up which means they can't operate on it because it's it's around the side of the original operation but he's hopeful that will heal but you know I mean he's he's 29 and he's had so many so many problems mm. um, deeply frustrating and yeah so the fact that he's out means that they've brought Scott Kugelin into the squad which is gross I mean it's it's it, it's an enduring disgrace for New Zealand cricket that they keep picking this guy as a fringe player. But if you go back and look at the story of the, the, someone who's... Uh, the things that he said during his court case, during his trial, should be enough to disbar you from being a national representative, regardless of what the outcome of that trial was. I'll leave it to people to go and find the details of that out for themselves if they're interested. But it, it's an enduring stain on New Zealand cricket that he keeps getting picked in these squads and, and given the honour when he shouldn't be given any of playing test cricket. But he he won't make the 11 as long as everything goes mm. to plan. So basically we can assume that it'll be Conway, Latham opening up, Williamson, Ravindra, three and four. Mitchell would come into five and push out Will Young, who yeah. played well against South Africa. Blundell, the keeper, they like Phillips at seven where he can bowl a bit, be a counter-attacking batter and and do what he did in the field. His fielding arguably won them the test that we'll come to in a second. And then presumably, well, Southie has to play because he's captain. 
Matt Henry, you would say, is a lock, and then it's a matter of whether they go with a full pace attack of Neil Wagner and Willow Rourke, or whether they bring Santner in as a spin option. Oh, I really like the look of Phil O'Rourke. Um, you know, he's tall, he's young, uh, gets a lot of bounds. Uh, he can. I saw him hit one early 140s a couple of times, uh, and he seems the ball around. Uh, Kyle Jam- Jamison is a huge loss. Well, I was there for his debut series the last time I was in New Zealand, just before COVID. Uh, it was four years ago, but obviously because it was pre-COVID, it feels like it was 40 years ago. No, yeah. uh, and what, he blew away, blew away India, and you thought... And then obviously a year later, he won... Uh, New Zealand, the World Test Championship final. And at that point, he went for a big IPL deal as well. You thought, wow, this guy could be the mm. next big thing from New Zealand in many ways. But unfortunate how injuries have just followed him around. Uh, yeah, you said he was 29. Like, yeah, Again, he seems to have aged uh, <laughs> when nobody was watching. So, mm. But uh, I saw a lot of uh, Willow Rook in that previous test match, the second one, um, his debut. And there's a lot to like. I, I would play him, especially with... Some of the issues some of the Australian batters have had with the, just that bouncing delivery. No, I'm not saying against a short pitch ball, but just that extra bounce outside of some Manus and a few others. Uh, Travis said as well, I would play Willow Rook. Uh, you know, Neil Wagner, uh, he went for a few runs, got a wicket with the short ball. I'll be shocked if they don't start with Wagner because of his record against Australia. But I think O'Rook could be the one to watch out for uh, during this series. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what, what he's able to do next. The T20s, just briefly, the, the, the Chapel Hadley Trophy is will be contested now for T20 series between mm. Australia and New Zealand as well as 50-over series, which is what it used to be. Um, so Jameson out of that, obviously. Tim Seifert's missing that with injury. Matt Henry with some hip soreness, but he'll be fit for the tests. Mitchell Santner's captaining the T20 side, which is interesting as well. Uh, elevation and responsibility there. Trent Bolt will play... The last two games, Saudi will play the first game, mixing up their veterans there. And Australia's all, all in on the veterans. Smith is back in, which is interesting given that Inglis and Warner did such a good job opening against West Indies and they were talking about Smith as an opening option. So where he bats um, will be curious. Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark are all in the T20 squad. Maybe they're using it as their test warm-up just to bowl a few overs there. I'm mm. not sure. Nathan Ellis is there. Spencer Johnson is there as well, which is an opportunity for him because Aaron Hardy's missed out with a calf problem, so they've replaced all-rounder with Bowler. Marcus Stoinis has pulled out with a back problem, which is very bad timing for him given the lack of runs he's had, mm. well, not just recently, but dating back a long time now. Um, and Matthew Wade will come in partway through because he's got a, a new baby arriving, so he'll wait for that and then, then arrive for, well, maybe the, the second two the last two I don't know how you define that when there are three the uh, the second and third games I think <laughs> that's easier that's that's the better way to put it uh, look I think there is uh, quite a bit of intrigue in this uh, Australia New Zealand T20 SCDs this is uh, for Australia anyway the last three games they play before the T20 World Cup most of the guys they want to keep an eye on will play in the IPL. Uh, I remember asking George Bailey about this when they announced the T20 squad against West Indies and he had said at that point that around 90 to 95% they knew what the squad would look like. Uh, I think that opening... um, combination is is interesting. Steve Smith, uh, a few Australian journalists have said, is playing for his uh, spot in the side. And I think they've made it pretty clear that if he plays, if he is in the squad, it is in the top order. But then you have Warner, you have Inglis, you have Travis Head. Uh, So three guys who 
just purely in T20 cricket, you would think you'd pick ahead of Steve Smith. So it'll be interesting to see how they go mm. with the Steve Smith uh, equation. Smith obviously would be really keen to go out there and you know make an impression and get uh, give himself a chance of uh, becoming a triple crown winner. Uh, you know, mm. for a few of them, David Warner spoken about it after landing in New Zealand about that's Australia's next goal, right? Yes, winning the two tests in New Zealand, but if they can. You know, win that T20 World Cup in June, become the first ever men's team to hold all three titles. So mm. the, there is a lot to play for, uh, but, you know. So even for the fast bowlers, just to get some T20 cricket in, they've all been on a break. Uh, some lovely photos, family pictures from Pat Cummins anyway, and Mitchell Stark uh, over the last couple of weeks. But yeah, it's time to get back out on the field. And yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a fun tour. It's a short, truncated tour in many ways. But you still don't know which way the tests will go or the T20s for that matter. It was a fun second test between New Zealand and South Africa. Um, I wasn't expecting to be engrossed in it, but eventually I was. And it is an inherently compromised South African team. We've talked about that at, at depth. So New Zealand secure their first ever series win about South Africa, but it, it, it you know, it, there is an asterisk there. It doesn't. It, it didn't feel quite yeah. right to to have that be the historical moment when it, it's not the best team that South Africa could put out. But they did put up a hell of a fight, and um, not just one player, but a few different performances across the board. So Dane Pete initially, I mean, South Africa only made two forty two in their first innings. Very much enjoyed Sean von Berg coming into Test cricket so yeah, late. I was just going to talk about him. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can in a moment. He made thirty eight. Ruined the sport. <laughs> 64. Everyone, all South Africans were making 64. Delmi Tucker, 64. Chloe Tryon, 64. Yeah, Ruan Deswat, right. 64. Bettingham made 39 in the first inning. So they made 242, which you expected New Zealand to roll over. But then South Africa took her first innings lead. Dane Pete, 5 for 89, the off-spinner, who would have thought his test career was done. He'd played a handful of tests and drifted away from yeah. playing for South Africa, but uh, made his way back for this particular assignment. Bowled them out for 2.11. They've got a lead. And at the point where, where Bettingham's going nicely with Keegan Peterson, they've they've really got the chance to push New Zealand into the mud at that point. They're four down for 202, so they're leading by 2.33. They've got a chance to, to build to 300 or so. And then there's that crazy catch by Phillips in the gully to get rid of Peterson yeah. for 37. It was off Matt Henry, I think. Absolutely flying one-hander. And then he takes another great catch to get Bettingham after Bettingham makes 100. And they run through the rest, six for 33, the collapse, and chasing 267, Williamson makes another 100. He's fifth century in the fourth innings of a test match, which means he and Eunice Khan are the only two players to have ever done that. He's made, what, six in seven tests, is it, at yeah. the moment? He's on this incredible streak, and Will Young made 60 not out. They, they chased it three down. But the fact that there was that point where... South Africa genuinely had an opportunity to take that game. And for Bettingham, who played the series before this one and, and was, was in the test team on his own right, in his own right, it's still a vast degree of difficulty to play in a, such a different team with players who are so inexperienced and around you and such a comparatively weaker team and still be able to deliver a performance like that and, and take 100 off New Zealand in, in their home conditions. And it was brilliant batting as well uh, against a proper New Zealand attack. Uh, he took the attack to them. There was, uh, you know, they started off well in that second innings, but then they lost a couple of wickets. So he walked in uh, with, uh, you know, the, all the pressure on him to produce some something special, and, and he did. Uh, and you're right. I was so, uh, I. I Watching it briefly, the first test I paid a bit of attention to, just wanted to see who the new players were, but then kind of 
you know, moved on. But the second test, you're right. The day two is when they uh, start. Dane Pete turned the game around and uh, made sure that they got a first innings lead, which in itself was a significant achievement for the South African team. And just going into that last day, uh, or what was day four, uh, what they South Africa or New Zealand needed 226 runs they had nine wickets in hand I mean just think back to what happened at the Gabba Australia needed 156 but they had eight wickets in hand and I remember tweeting saying who will be the Shamar Joseph and they needed someone like that like they needed some a miracle performance like someone just uh, an individual great performance uh, so that wasn't to be and I mean yeah it came from the other uh, from the opposition Kane Williams in what 300s and four innings in this series he just can't stop scoring runs especially in New Zealand and you're right I mean they you felt bad for the South African side I mean Sean Warnberg like you know just just the way he goes about his cricket he's been around for such a long time uh, 37 uh, gets a go at test cricket and you could see just the, the the expressions on his face every time he would beat the bat or he thought he was getting close to a wicket it, it was such a fun player to watch I mean and often when we talk about players like Sean Warnberg uh, you can come across a bit condescending but I think yeah uh, a lot of people in their late 30s like myself looked at him play test cricket. I mean, look, he's played a lot of first-class cricket and a lot of domestic cricket. He deserved his place in the side. But I'm just saying, you see someone like that play test cricket, you kind of mm. can live a little vicariously through him. And I think that's what it... It's 100%. more that than... Yeah, you kind of patronizing them or like looking down on them. But yeah, it, it, they could have made a match of it. Uh, but I think where they kind of lost it was the position they were in with the bat, which the West Indies never were, right? They had the first mm. innings lead at, in Brisbane, but uh, then Australia came back strongly and blew them away. But uh, with Beddingham out there, with Peterson out there, maybe if the lower order had contributed the way they did in the first innings... Uh, Put like give the push the target closer to 300, 320. Maybe they could have come close, but the way Williamson's batting right now, I mean, Australia will have their task cut out. And, and look, Williamson averages 40 against Australia, it's not the not his most successful opposition. He will no. try to make up for that in the form he's in uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks. All right, before the break, let's do a little bit of Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge, the game that we like to play with nice people on the internet who fund this program by sending in contributions of a currency of their choice and a number of their choice. The number relates to cricket. We have to guess what it means. This is a, a sneaky little revisit, Barrett. I threw this in there because you did the original answer on this on Storytime 145, which is quite a long time ago, but I lost the revisit email. And so Andrew Gardner has been waiting for a while. Sorry, Andrew. $2.60 was the original number. And there was a clue about something happening in three successive matches. And you looked at the answer about none for 260 being the match figures for the most wicketless runs. It was to do with a, a, a record that would be hard to break as well. Yeah. So so the none for 260 was something that you talked about. Andrew said he enjoyed your attempt very much. It was not the answer he was thinking of. He said this cumulative feat was over three important matches with a white ball. Do you remember that answer? Uh, I'm trying to think back to it. Uh, I'm, I'm bad at recalling story time answers. Who was it? Like, who was the person I spoke about? That's a great question. I don't have that in front of me either. But <laughs> let's pretend. <laughs> we, we'll revisit my, my answer in the next show. <laughs> but, okay, so so with the, the extra bit of information we had here was it was it was three important matches with a white ball and they were, they, they didn't happen in a row. That was cumulative. Oh. And I thought right. matches with a white ball that would stand out that were cumulative. I thought, who... 
who has played three World Cup finals was my first thought, Barrett. And so there are a few players and and there are a few from the, the Great West Indies team and a couple from the Great Australian team. So Clive Lloyd made 102 in the first World Cup final in 75, but then he made 13 and 8 in his next two in 89 and, and 83. So it can't be him. Gordon Greenwich, shit-ass record in World Cup finals, didn't want it enough, uh, made 13, That's 9 brilliant. and 1. No good. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it when the heat was on. And all of India knows about the one. Like yeah. the, the most, one of the most discussed dismissals in the history of Indian cricket, yeah. Was that Madan Lal taking that wicket? No, that's the Balwinder Singh Sandhu delivery where oh. he famously said, I was trying for the outswinger, it just turned out into a, turn, an turned into an inswinger. So I don't blame <laughs> Gordon Greenwich at all. <laughs> Bit of humility is, is excellent. Um, and Viv Richards also failed in the first World Cup final, made five. Then he made uh, his famous 138 not out in the 1979 final, but he only made 33 against India and that's how they were able to get over West Indies really in 1983. None of those add up to 260. None of them None of them work. Andy Roberts also played f- all three of those World Cup finals, took none for 43, none for 33, and three for 32. So no matter what I did there, I couldn't find a way to twist that into 260 either. And then you've got the Australians. You've got Glenn McGrath taking two for 13 off nine overs, which is extraordinary, in 1999. Yeah. Three for 52 in the Joburg game in 2003. And one for 31 in the game in uh, the Caribbean against Sri Lanka in 2007. That was in Bridgetown, wasn't it? That last that yep. World Cup final. Yep. So, and that was off seven overs. Never bowled his full allotment. Nine overs in the first final, 8.2 and then seven. Mm. Um, wasn't really required. Couldn't get that to 260 either. That didn't work. Ponting made a famous 100, of course, 140 not out in Joburg. But he made 24 of 27 balls in 1999. And he made 37 from 42 in 2007. So useful, but not three, well, not what you call three successes per se, three contributions, one of them a a raging success. And that leaves us with Adam Gilchrist. And if you're looking at someone who was a raging success in all of his World Cup finals, Gilchrist. 1999, 54 off 36 balls to start it off. (laughs) Strike rate of 160, which would still be considered good going these days. 2003 starts him off with 57 off 48 oh, balls, yeah. so a strike rate of 118, and then of course famously the squash ball innings, 149 mm-hmm. off 104 balls at a strike rate of 143, and that does equal, if you add it all together, 54 plus 57 plus 149 Beautiful. does add up to 260. So I believe that's the answer for Andrew Gardner. It is the 260 runs that Adam Gilchrist made in three World Cup finals, um, but what are three World Cup finals they were? Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's funny, right? All these great players you mentioned, uh, not a lot of them making an impact in World Cup finals. I mean, Tendulkar played two, 2003 and 2011, got out cheaply in both. Yeah, I mean, you spoke about Viv Richards, like that was at 100. So maybe if Tendulkar had played a third one based on what Ponting and Richards did, he would have made 100. So bring back Sachin Tendulkar <laughs> for another World Cup final. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, there'll be a World Cup in India soon enough. Like, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. he can come back uh, and make one. But no, that's very well done, Jeff. I'm very impressed. Like, Adam Gilchrist, yeah. I mean, we forget about that innings in the 99 World Cup in particular, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we for remember sure. the 2003, him and Hayden taking down Zahir Khan and Nehra. And I remember how he got out of Harbhajan Singh. Uh, obviously, the famous innings uh, with the squash ball in 2007. But 1999, because it was probably the most 
a, a final that kind of nobody talks about too much. Everybody talks about the semi-final more than the final. At least 2007 people like uh, kind of get pissed off about because of the way it ended, uh, the farcical nature of the, the finish. But 99 is a, yeah, an un- like, maybe we should do like a watch along of the 99 final at some point. I think uh, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it a lot of things happen that mm-hmm. we completely forget. We remember Darren Lee when hitting the boundary. Yep. Uh, but yeah, Gilchrist was the one. It was it was never going to be a challenge, but Australia had lost to Pakistan earlier on in the World Cup. So maybe they had a few nerves, who knows. But mm-hmm. yeah, Gilchrist just did exactly what you sh- need to do. He did a Travis Head, just uh, a different kind of total, but yeah. uh, a much smaller total. But he basically did what Travis Head would do many, many years later. Well, Adam did make a whole documentary series about the 1999 World Cup, which has been popping up on our feed. If you uh, haven't heard that and you want to scroll back and find it anyway, that's Nerd Pledge. If you want to play the game, go to patreon.com slash the final word. It's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And uh, you can sign up there, become a member of our community, put in a number and we will come to it on the show. Just before the break, a word for CBUS, who are our main sponsors through this uh, Australian summer their 40th birthday this year their 40th anniversary from uh, from when the building workers campaign was started off um, all the way back then four decades ago um, that campaign as they've described it to us was audacious and visionary a kernel of an idea that was the first step towards the current broad-based super system which is a 3.5 trillion dollar pool of capital that invests in Australia and in wow. all major markets across the globe um, and its entire purpose is to provide Australians with greater wealth and choices as individuals in retirement the first members contributed 11 bucks a week in 1984 and 40 years later CBUS has over 900,000 members, $85 billion in funds under management and an average return of 8.89%. So if you haven't sorted out your super, cbussuper.com.au, past performance, not a reliable indicator of future performance. Let's take a break and hopefully our second half will be reliably indicated by our first half. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Bryn and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. It's the final word with Jeff Lemon and Bharat Sundaresan, uh, chat and cricket, all things that have gone on in the last week. Um, we didn't really talk about the India-England test because we didn't really need to. There was such exhaustive coverage done during the week exactly. yeah. by Cameron Punsonby and uh, Daniel Norcross and Adam Collins and everybody else who was getting involved with that match in Rajkot. But I think for you and I, though, as, as, as Ravachandran Ashwin enthusiasts, we do have to note yes. that the great man brought up his 500th. And in, in an extraordinary week where he, he had the frightening experience of having to leave the match to, to rush home to be with his mother, yeah. who was very ill, and then having her stabilised to the point where he was able to come back and complete the test match. So he bowled on the the fourth and what ended up being the he final did. day of the test, picked up another wicket there to contribute to, to India's win. He's got a, a Levi's 501, 501 test wickets at the moment. A nice little tribute video from Nathan Lyon who, who sent that out there um, to say congratulations to him. And, you know, this we've talked about it on the show before, but this, this race, where will they stop, you know, those two? Do they oh. go on to 600, 700? Do they go for 801 and try to pit Murali? Uh, it, it's, I mean, Ashwin's third. 37 is he, Bharat? But, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a stubborn character and he's missed so much test cricket because India just keep not picking him in all of these. Like, imagine how many wickets he'd have if they actually picked him in the team consistently. He was asked about um, 
the next big milestone for him, uh, which is not obviously going past Nathan Lyon, but that will be the big battle, uh, which will, uh, we will talk about Ashwin and Lyon for sure, not just to, today, but for the next few months before they do have their next face-off. If, like you said, India do pick him in their playing 11 when they come to Australia, which uh, doesn't seem to happen, not just, not in Australia, but just overseas. Uh, he was asked about Daniel Kumle record, which is what, 619. Um, mm. And Ashwin just joked, Laughed it off. He said, I couldn't see himself getting there. He's 37. He doesn't know how long he has left uh, of test cricket, which is a fair point. I mean, he is, in my opinion, as fit as he ever has been. Uh, you can see him. He, uh, he doesn't post as many fitness videos as Virat Kohli or Hartik Pandya, who suddenly <laughs> seem to have overtaken Virat Kohli. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But uh, uh, he, he, you can see, I mean, just uh, in terms of cricketing fitness as well, he's uh, really in a good space. Uh, just the way he speaks about it cricket but uh, I mean Ashwin and Lyon is fascinating I did some uh, I tweeted this out as soon as I was actually ready with this tweet <laughs> uh, during the second test and then uh, I almost tweeted it out but I thought I'll wait for the DRS and I like held myself back because it's quite the journey from the time they, they make their test debuts what three months apart mm. uh, and then you look at their milestone 100, 300, 200, 300, 400, 500 they, it's the most or the longest they've gone apart from or the, the longest duration between uh, one or the other getting to it was uh, obviously for the 400 where, uh, you know, Nathan Lyon, uh, oh no, sorry, R. Ashwin got it uh, in that series against England, got Joffre yeah. Archer right after India's famous win here. But yeah, Australia Lyon, didn't play Lyon any test match. was stuck in the 390s for a long time, wasn't he? He was. He started that India series at 390, took only nine wickets, was 399. But then after that, unlike India, who played a lot of test matches in 2021 against England, they played nine test matches against England themselves. Um, Now Lyon had to wait for the Ashes for a whole year. So that's the longest. That's so February uh, and December. But apart from that, it's always been two, three months uh, either side. So it's not always been one. Ashwin got to his hand. Ashwin got to the 100, 300 and 400 before Lyon, but 200 and 500 Lyon got to before Ashwin. It's a, mm. I don't know whether it's ever happened in... Uh, t- people always compare Warren and Murli. Yeah, for a brief period, they were sort of close to each other, mm. uh, but two kind of different kinds of spinners. Uh, you know, you don't talk of them in the same breath in that sense. Both were wrist spinners, of course. We've spoken a lot about Murli Dharan and his wrists. Uh, but this has been a, a fabulous cat and mouse uh, battle, which will continue on for... Uh, well, Nathan Lyon wants to play for another four years. Uh, I'm not sure if... Uh, Ashwin wants to uh, uh, but just a great achievement uh, I was there when he made his debut 2011 a uh, long time ago uh, like he had that great IPL uh, or a couple of good IPLs before that but it was his uh, the contribu- or the way he was bowling for Tamil Nadu and the first time you saw him you knew he was there was something about him like you know, every time you saw him there was a different load up he was a, a spin scientist uh, I called him in my piece a few years ago uh, when he bowled beautifully in Adelaide but uh, and he is that like you know he's uh, always coming up with these different concoctions of uh, uh, how to go about his bowling he's reinvented himself more than uh, I guess any any of those 500 plus uh, bowlers or wicket bowlers with 500 plus wickets and, and at every given point he's actually had detractors that he's had to prove wrong and most mm. of them have come from India like even now when you 
talk about Ashwin on social media. It's generally the Indians who go after you saying, oh, imagine if Nathan Lyon had bowled on the kind of pitches that Ashwin had bowled on. Yeah. He would have taken a thousand wickets and all of that. So throughout his career, poor Ashwin has never been able to kind of just rest on his laurels even if he wants to. He's not one of those guys to do that because people yeah. have always pulled him up and always pointed at external factors for his success, but uh, without really focusing on just how good he's been. And he just yeah. keeps getting better and better. And I think we saw that in that series in Australia with just how well he bowled, how he, he outfoxed Steve Smith during that series, um, the strategy that he had, the different lengths that he used, um, the, the turning the ball in at the hip, that sort of cramping them for room. Like there was yeah. so much planning that went into having success in that series. It, it was He didn't just turn up and bowl and it happened to work yeah. out for him that time, which which can be the case. You know, some bowlers just, just send it down and that happens to be the day that um, a few nicks fall in the right hands or, or whatever it might be. So... I would have loved to have seen him get more opportunities overseas because I think we would have mm. seen him be able to develop that side of his game even more. A lot of player movement overseas between countries at the moment. I um, read this very interesting <laughs> piece by sometime final word co-host Matt Roller on yes. Crick Info about the perverse incentives for players in T20 leagues, in that, which is a, a point that seems obvious when it's pointed out, but I hadn't thought of it before that you've got you've got players jumping from league to league we've, we've known that this is happening for years we've had players leaving mm. the big bash to go and play in the UAE or play in the Bangladesh Premier League or leaving the South African League to so all of those leagues are sort of overlapping now the PSL is about to start as well so there, there are, there's so much overlap but you've got players who have an incentive effectively an incentive to lose games because if they make yeah. the finals in one competition then they lose out on playing matches in the group stage of another competition and usually their pay scales are, are often weighted to how many matches they play there's a sort of pro rata thing in in various leagues but it sometimes it covers the group stage but not necessarily knockouts so you've, you've got players who once their team was eliminated in the SA20 in the South African comp immediately left to go and play in the UAE mm. or in Bangladesh which means that they're there becomes an incentive for players to lose matches, essentially, which is not to say that anybody's deliberately doing it. There's there's that interesting yeah. point of just a player's natural competitiveness, right? If you're a if you're a bowler with one ball left to bowl in the match, and you know that if it goes for four, you lose, yeah. and, and you get to go to your next assignment and make more money, then you've got a financial incentive to bowl a bad ball, but you've got your natural competitiveness that says that you want to win the game. Um, I always Herschel Gibbs always comes to mind when he when he took the bribe from Hansi Cronier to make a low score exactly. and then he just couldn't yeah. go through with it. Once he was he out there, he was like, through. yeah, but I have to make runs. So he ended up yeah. making 75 or something, I think, in, in that game and pissing off Hansi no end. But, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's an interesting position for players to be put in where where effectively there is a, it, it, it's in their financial best interest to lose matches, um, and and I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how long it is until that becomes a cause for suspicion to be cast on players for performances in those situations. I think theoretically it makes sense. I mean, I I, I love and respect Matt Roller a lot, but the way world cricket is right now, especially in the league franchise. Uh, Thing. You're also your own brand. So, uh, A, I mean, like you said, it's not easy losing games of cricket. <laughs> you can maybe like underperform yourself, uh, mm. but someone else could have like a miracle day because everybody in these leagues is also like... At the point about like yeah, performing for yourself makes sense or underperforming or overperforming, but you're also your own brand. So, you might 
have something to gain from say okay probably underperforming in one game but someone else in your team might have something to gain by or, mm. or performing or pulling off a miracle and every time you fail to for example take your uh, the scenario you said you spoke about last over defending a total every time you fail to do that your value drops right like so mm. because we're in a market like a free market where you're judged right. on each performance there's a lot of short term memory we've seen it in auctions we've seen it in drafts uh, and everything else i mean jake brown is a great example right like yeah i mean he's he deserves to be playing uh, league cricket and who knows before long he'll be playing for australia in short form cricket as well but he needs performances like the one he pulled off in the BBL to for further yeah. like and not just for so maybe in the short term it makes sense like okay i have like a, a a commitment there i can get more money there but you could also be like harming your uh, long term mm. plans by say if you are in that position and you're underperforming so i don't see it um it happening but it's a great point to raise like it could happen i'm not saying it won't happen but you are taking a huge punt on yep. on your own brand by doing that as well if if you are an individual player i think it's only it would only be in very specific circumstances but if you've got a situation where for instance a player is in a lower profile league like the the uae league which you know honestly yeah. nobody's really paying attention to it doesn't count to towards official T20 stats because it's yeah. it's not one of those sanctioned by the major boards so it's not it doesn't get oh, counted no, I think, in, in uh, a and uh, I think that's changed though I think that's this year now. if I'm not mistaken yeah this from this uh, edition onwards yeah they have included it yeah right and I'm not saying a player would go out there from ball 1 saying I'm trying to lose the game today mm. but I, but it's just the decision making process when it comes down to and and say you're in a position where you've played well and the rest of your team hasn't and you're on yeah. 70 not out and nobody else has made many runs and you need six off the last ball to win it and no one's going to look badly on you if you hit a four instead of a six and you don't quite win the game they'll say yeah. you played really well you did your bit but if you're standing there knowing that if I hit this ball for six then I lose a hundred grand because of not being able to go to another league as early and not being able to cash in on what I'm doing there whereas if yeah. I hit it for four I make a bunch more money it just it just creates it creates an incentive you don't want to exist now it doesn't mean that players will will change their behavior oh, no. deliberately um, yeah. but some might it creates the opportunity for that to happen and it, it creates oh, the opportunity so. for aspersions to be cast on players for those reasons so it's you know I, th- I think it is it is a problem but it's a problem that it's hard to see how it'll solve given how crowded the calendar is and particularly in that that southern summer as it were that southern season oh, yeah that's right yeah february march january it seems to be so because ipl has its own own little window that it's created mm. for itself i love the second half of that piece as well from matt where he talks about how i mean it might come down to these private investors asking for regulation and i think it's uh, that's going to happen for sure i mean at some point we still seem to be now that some of these leagues the newer leagues the SAT20 the ILT20 i mean the BPL and the PSL have been around for quite a while but uh, yep. these two in particular now that they've become got into the second and third seasons uh, now we'll see uh, and look who are the who are the owners more or less is the IPL franchise owners the hmm. first reason they wanted these tournaments to happen is so that they can uh, spread their brand out more right like yeah yep. and 
now I think it will get regulated eventually. Now we're in that phase. We're going through that middle phase where suddenly everything's just happening. Uh, everything's chaos, right? Everybody's mm. going here and there. Where Matt writes about how a Puran plays for a franchise owned by one IPL team in one tournament, and then he captains the MI uh, team in uh, Emirates League or whichever league he's talking about. Uh, yep. So, uh, so the, see that's we've seen in the IPL, like because there's been the big auction after every three years. Save like four or five big profile players, Indian players mm. or foreign players, maybe like, maybe not five, ten. Everyone has moved around, right? Like and there's Virat yeah. Kohli in Bangalore. I mean, even Rohit's won a franchise, uh, an IPL with Deccan Chargers. But all right, for the last 13 or so years, he's been with Mumbai. Hardik's gone and come back. I mean, there's Dhoni, there's, there's Virat, mm. to an extent Rohit. Uh, uh, A.B. De Villiers has become uh, or became Bangalore, but he had that run with Delhi as well. But yeah, uh, Apart from that, I know for a fact, like, you know, just covering the IPL or speaking to a lot of Indian fans, that loyalty in terms of players is, it's been tough, tough to follow. It's not like soccer yet, but I think yeah. we will get to that point. At some point that will get regulated. And when will it happen? It's when the IPL franchises themselves or the, not the, just the IPL, but the big industrialists yep. who have come into cricket start handing out the contracts and it's not the national boards. Mm. Uh, or, or yeah, I suppose so. And 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 if those if those franchises then need to effectively issue NOCs like no objection certificates to let players play elsewhere, exactly. that kind of thing. Yeah, and 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 the point that Matt made about whether whether teams are better off developing lower profile local players from their own pool because those because is there necessarily value in buying a bigger name player but not they're not necessarily mm. huge name players like you you're not getting thousands more people through the gate in the UAE because Sam Curran rocked up to play that day right it, it's yeah, not true. it's not making a huge difference so is the quality of the player enough that bringing them in for three games for a brief stint is, yeah. is worth more than having a player that you've developed locally that you've had so much more input into who, who's played at your own grounds a lot more and that kind of thing. Incidentally, there was this, also the story about uh, a UK club cricketer named Rizwan Javed who got banned by the ICC for 17 and a half years for multiple fixing um, instances in the Abu Dhabi T10. So it's still happening. Um, maybe they just... It's, it's easier off Broadway. Uh, some other news coming through from Cricket Australia, some good moves there um, that... They have instigated at least a talent pathway program for female match referees, certainly yep. domestically. So Joanne Broadbent, who made a double hundred in the, the Ashes, um, one of the three Ashes tests in 1998. Sarah Elliott, who made that hundred at Wormsley while she was breastfeeding in 2013, mm. was it? Batting out a very, very long, long partnership there. And Janine Stainer, who's not a former player, but who was manager of the Australian women's mm. team for years and years um, through the, the first part of the 2000s. So they've all joined the match referee program for the following Australian summer, the 24-25 Australian summer, which is part of a, a deliberate move by CA to try to give more opportunities to women across the board in terms of officials, so umpiring and match refereeing. 
Yeah, and we've seen a lot of uh, 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 you know women fourth umpires in uh, during the men's test summer. I mean, Eloise Sheridan, who I, I love and respect. I mean, she's from here uh, and uh, she's part of the Secusa. I haven't attended a meeting in a long time, but she's I've attended so many of her workshops, and uh, uh, she's done a great job. She was uh, she was the stand-in umpire, or not stand-in, sorry, she was uh, in the middle for the WACA test as well. Uh, yeah. But she's been fourth umpire quite a bit, and a couple of others as well. So uh, it's just great. I mean, it. It is spreading. Uh, there are uh, uh, so we match refereeing is the one thing where we hadn't seen uh, women so far. But so these three you mentioned have been um, each illustrious uh, uh, cricket people in their own right have been added to the talent pathway. So they'll be trained and they'll. Uh, so not be interns, but they'll get trained uh, on the job by other experienced match referees. That happens a lot. Like you see it in uh, even with the men. I think Daryl Harper, uh, a lot of former umpires become match referees. Simon Fry is one of them from South Australia. So uh, they'll always have, uh, and we've seen it in international cricket as well, uh, where there'll be the the main match referee, and then you'll have like a. Uh, a match referee in waiting in that sense. I remember Adrian right. Griffith, former West Indies opener, going through the ranks a few years ago. So great signs uh, to have more women match officials. Uh, I'm all for it and I'm sure you are and everybody else listening to us. Is. Yeah, you need a few spare officials in case one gets stuck in the lift um, at one point or another. <laughs> the, the, the Sheffield Shield, uh, Will Pekofsky making his first Shield 100 since his test debut. Feels yeah. like a huge milestone. Uh, our colleague Adam White did a great interview with him on the Victorian State Cricket Podcast not long ahead of this, which in which Pukowski sounded very upbeat, talking about wanting to have a, another proper shot at, at trying to make it back to Test cricket, particularly to make it back to um, to, to to make his way in domestic cricket in the first instance. There's there's always the concern and the question about what happens if yeah. he suffers another concussion and that's that's the anxiety in the background and I, I, I still don't really see how that question that question hasn't been resolved but I guess you can only go day by day on this stuff and the fact that he has turned out and notched a, a century is a significant moment for him. And what a beautiful player to watch, right? And yeah, those hundreds you spoke about, uh, he made his previous first class hundreds came during their Adelaide Shield Hub. Uh, and I was on commentary for uh, mm. what felt like a- 18 days where him and Marcus Harris kept batting and batting and batting, <laughs> put on more than 400 uh, runs for the opening wicket at the Glenel goal against poor Chad Sayers and Co. But I think that was Chaddy's last season. Poor mm. guy, I think he'd seen enough of Will Pekoski by then. But I mean, he's always been the big hope for Australian cricket right I mean we've gone gone through so many openers in the last or opening options even if they haven't played uh, a lot of tests in the last few years Will Pekoski wasn't a natural opener don't forget he started opening for Victoria that summer uh, and started scoring runs uh, and Got like you know he was primed for a test debut at the Adelaide Oval and uh, I remember exactly where I was at the Dromoyne Oval when he got hit on his head by Karthik Tyagi the reserve bowler uh, mm. and you know but and he looked so much at. Uh, uh, at, at ease on test debut at the SCG making that half century uh, but you're right I mean you can't just that because he's made that 100 there's no shouldn't be any talk of fast tracking him into the side uh, the great thing for Will Pekoski is he's got two more shield games and if Victoria make the final they are in a good position now he'll get three more shield games he's got a county season for Leicestershire so if he starts playing every match mm. and he starts scoring runs as well, but if he shows up game after game after game, and I think playing county cricket will help uh, uh, in that 
uh, regard, I can see him being ready for that India series. Uh, but again, mm. it, it'll come up to him because there'll be some shield cricket he'll get to play before that home, the next home summer as well. So, uh, but yeah, I think it's it's a great positive that he's back and he's making runs. Uh, I think all of Australian cricket or cricket fans around the world were really happy to see him back. He's still very young; mm. he's just twenty six. So, if Australia patient with him, I still think we'll get a great Test career out of him. Cameron Bancroft another hundred as well, so um, the the he would he would argue that he's made a much stronger case over the last couple of years, and there's a fair bit to yeah. that argument as well. Uh, and plus, you know, I mean, in in theory now, Steve Smith is the Test match opener for an yeah. indefinite period of time, right? I mean, they've they've only got these two in New Zealand. Yeah. They're not going to make any big changes to the structure of the order based on results from those two tests, you wouldn't think. So the only thing that would change that would be if um, if injury creates a vacancy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think if anything, uh, if, say, Will Pekoski does continue on this run and he is back for good, I can see him come into the side whenever Usman Khawaja says it's time for him to go or Steve Smith uh, or who knows I mean they could go out together I mean I can see that happening if not I mean not not very soon not this summer but or not uh, this year not next summer but maybe the summer after the Ashes 25-26 at home could be a great time for either of them or both of them to say okay enough of test cricket and that will be the right time for someone like Will Pekoski and I think with Pekoski yes he's been spoken of as an opener but I mm-hmm. can see him fit into the middle order as well I mean yes there's Manus and Cam Green right now who also made a hundred don't forget uh, for Western Australia yesterday but I, th- I, I can see him fit into that middle order at some point as well so it's not uh, uh, he, he provides gives you that gives you both options like you sure. basically if whenever he's ready Australia will just want him in the side like they have said with Cam Green is what I think right right they've, they've you think they've backed him sufficiently in the past and they rate him highly enough that mm. it'll be less about the the results coming in the results just need to be good enough to justify the pick I suppose which is the the point of contention and resentment I suppose for a lot of onlookers that some some players, you have a, an example of Bancroft, do a huge amount in the shield and don't get rewarded for it, um, and others get rewarded because they've been picked out as, as being a different calibre of player some, somehow, regardless of what their results are. Uh, a big weekend coming up in the women's game. We've got the WNCL final on TV on the weekend, which is great. I mean, you know, imagine that 10 years ago saying that the WNCL final would be on exactly, broadcast yeah. television. Tassie going for three in a row, which... Also, imagine saying that five years ago, the basket <laughs> case to champions, uh, um, Tassie versus Queensland, because the regular season finished over the weekend. Jess Jonathan came back from being left out of the test team to pull out a ridiculous performance to, to help drive <laughs> Queensland into the final. And also the WPL in India will start this weekend too, from the, the 23rd of Feb to the 17th of March. So... A big weekend in women's white ball cricket, but um, I, I was very surprised that Jonathan got left out. I mean, Sophie Molyneux, mm. very good player, but essentially they're the same player. You know, they're yeah. left arm orthodox spinners who are useful batters. Jonathan's got a Test match ninety nine, uh, has uh, performed well with the ball when required in the past. The spinners weren't required that much anyway. It seemed, given given the long long injury layoff that that Molyneux had, I, I just would have thought mm. they'd bring her back through shorter form cricket rather than drop her straight into a test match um, and, I, and I didn't think Jonathan had done anything to lose her spot but um, that's what happened. 
Ah, yeah, I think it had more to do with uh, so- Sophie Molyneux. Like, what is Australia's next series, right? Maybe they were just like, this is the last game we have left. We'll just give her this, give give her a go. It's pretty unfair on Jess Jonathan, you're right. Yeah. But I guess that's just what happens when uh, you are a team with like, I mean, you can always argue that, well, it's not Jess Jonathan's fault that Sophie Molyneux had an injury and she had to come back from it. But mm. maybe that was the thinking behind it. Uh, I'm not sure. But they've just so spoiled for options. They always have been spoiled for options, at least in the last five, seven years, Australia. So, I mean, even when you talk of uh, Lexman, I mean, Alana King has, since making her debut in Canberra, what, two years ago, she's held that uh, role in the side. But there's always Georgia Wareham there's already always mm. uh, I mean nobody even unfortunately speaks of uh, uh, our mate Amanda Jade Wellington when it comes to test cricket well, we do. she's been waiting we do. the final word to us that's exactly there's no shortage of it here that's all uh, we are the only ones who do seem to do I mean uh, she was mentioned by I think it was Mel Jones like uh, or maybe mm. Rachel Haynes on commentary the other day when they were talking of other leg spin options so I let out a big woohoo when I heard that but uh <laughs> You know, so, so uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's uh, uh, they're just spoiled for option. And then Jess Jonathan, yeah, for four for six in five overs and then 29 of 23 balls. Like, uh, I mean, there are times when world-class cricketers like Jess Jonathan, like, drop a level below to, like, domestic cricket and then mm-hmm. produce that kind of performance where they're like, yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a cut above you guys. Uh, not that she would have rubbed it in anyone's face, but mm. she did through her performance. Uh, and I think she was asked about uh, being left out and, you know, she said, well, I can't do much about it. And she didn't sound too disappointed, but that also tells you about just how this Australian women's team is right now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, she's a very pragmatic sort of individual, but test caps yeah. are, are rare jewels in even in an Australian women's cricket career. So I think missing yeah. out on even one of them would be would be hugely frustrating, um, and, and probably equally frustrating for other state players when someone like Jess Jonathan comes back and you're like, oh God, really? <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Just when we thought we had a chance, like, <laughs> did you see the bit about um, Andrew McDonald going to play? Was it like sixth grade or something? I he turned see, out in the I local that, Geelong, yeah. Geelong comp. Imagine you've rocked up to bowl in the sixths on a weekend, you know, just to send down some absolute filth, and a, a former Test cricketer rocks up, and you're like, well, I mean, yeah, sure, he's long retired, and he wasn't the greatest player in the world, but he still knows how to, you know, play a forward defence and drive one through the covers. Like, he's still going to be a a vastly better player than anyone else at that level. It would it would feel very unfair to me if I were trying to, you know, if, if I'm playing absolute just low grade cricket and then suddenly being forced to bowl to someone with a test cap. I'll tell you what though, but as someone who's play, play, played a lot of journalist matches in Mumbai uh, against, like we used to have our own season, it's the one advantage you get of playing against the test cricketers. You can get them out <laughs> in whatever fashion and say, I have a test wicket. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember the I got Abby Kuruvilla out. Abby Kuruvilla played That's test right. cricket for India in the late 90s. Uh, big, still big strapping um, guy. I got actually both father and son out. His son was just like 10. 10 years ago so so he was still pretty young <laughs> he wasn't in his 50s yet uh, so he used to come and we used to play this uh, annual game at the D.Y. Partle Stadium uh, and he used to come and smash us around and yeah I bowled a little off cutter like he hit, he hit me for a four bowled an off cutter went for it again Skyer and I, I told him 
test cricket like it counts like you know you get a it test counts. player out so I mean if you are playing six division cricket and if someone like Andrew McDonald rocks up that's how you need to think and mm. I wonder if my, uh, my mate Oliver was playing like Andrew's son who I've kept as you know <laughs> I've kept a very keen eye on I mean Louis Cameron finds it very creepy that I've kept a keen eye on this kid because year after year I've seen him in the nets uh, and it's not just Steve Smith and Manus Labushin that I noticed like I always update Andrew McDonald on how good Oliver's uh, going so I'm like a mm-hmm. external batting consultant for uh, okay. Oliver so I, I I need to check the scores I need to check with Andrew McDonald how Oliver went yep. I'm more keen on his performances than his father's performances anyway yeah jump on my cricket or whatever it's called now and and see how he's gone alright I think that's enough from us that's season 15 episode 25 of the final word thanks to Barrett Sundarason for joining us thanks to you for listening thanks to Seabus Super for sponsoring the show seabussuper.com.au and uh Make sure if you're thinking about joining up, it's always a good time to do it. Patreon.com slash the final word. That is the main way that we keep the show going and keep making all the programs that we do day after day, week after week. We've got another India England test match coming up in a couple of days. So there'll be the preview show from that from Cam P out there on the ground in India. Um, and then through through the weekend as well. We'll be keeping up to date up to dated, up to dated with the play. Um, and then well, it won't be. It'll only be a week or so before we're all in Wellington, Barrett, and we'll be Indeed. doing daily shows from there as well. So, all right, that's it. That's enough from us. Uh, we'll see you next time. You know what I meant here. I had to go.